Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. That says you can have everything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want in life. Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Real Estate Lab podcast. In this lab, we decode the stories, secrets, and skills of the most brilliant minds in real estate investing, then turn their wisdom into practical advice and knowledge that we can use to boost our income. And now, let's turn it over to our host, V. It's a great day to be alive and to invest in real estate. My name is Viku, and you are now listening to my show, The Real Estate Lab Podcast. How are you doing, my friends? is february it's the second month of 2021 already we are now under a new administration the pandemic is still going on how are you doing how's your portfolio doing let me know i'm curious what's going on send me an email is v at realestatelab.live now today we are going to talk to a badass real estate investor she was broke just a few years ago she had no money she came back to the united states from a failed business in europe she had to move back to her parents basement and you know what just a few years later she is now financially free she has a portfolio of 10 units she's a real estate investor cancer researcher and a softball player. My guest today is Becky Nova. She is the owner of a Facebook group with more than 6,000 female landlords and investors. The name of her group is called The Lady Landlord. The group is totally free to join. They have education resources, worksheets, templates, mentoring programs, and everything else you need to succeed. I'm telling you, this is a one-stop shop for landlords and real estate investors. Unfortunately, guys, she does not allow any male to join the group. This is a female-only group. So if you're listening to this episode and you happen to be a lady landlord, make sure you join her group and follow her on Instagram. Her handle is at Becky Nova 24. Now in today's episode, Becky and I talked about her story, how she went from living in her parents' basement to finally financially free in just a few short years. She also talked about the lessons that she learned along the way, how to manage her tenants in a tenant-friendly state and also overseas. She actually has rental in another country. She's living in upstate New York. I'm sure you will enjoy this episode as much as I did when I was recording it. So here we go. Without further ado, here is Becky Nova. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Lab podcast. I have Becky Nova here with me on the show. Thank you for joining me, Becky. How are you doing? Good, V. Thanks so much for having me on today. Now, Becky, um, I just have these questions for you. What was going through your mind when you walked through the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown? <laughs> um, to me, especially as a woman that's played softball her whole life, it was just, uh, all I wanted to do was just find where the characters and the story about a league of their own was. I needed to see those uniforms. I needed to see where those women were. And I just thought I've always been a history buff, but it was just so cool to see that dedicated section to the women that I've admired like my whole life. Right. And and with COVID, I imagine you not playing much. You would be incorrect, actually. Oh, um, really? <laughs> in New York, it was rather delayed. Um, we were not able to play softball earlier in the year, but they did start up a season and I think it was about July, right around 4th of July, we were able to play, but they actually changed some rules about how, just about how baseball, softball works that we didn't even care about. If we were able to get out there and play, it was perfectly fine. But no, I was still able to have most of my leagues 
Um, and then also I do play in a lot of tournaments and we had most of those. So it was still a great summer for softball. Wow. Amazing. I'm Ooh. glad you still had some time to, to do that, you know, because it's uh, the only thing that sometimes keep me sane. So it was really nice to be able to get out and just take a break from everything else going on with life and, you know, living in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> it was a yeah, nice yeah. Break. yeah to I mean, totally. I, I imagine a lot of people who don't want to go out and just stuck at home for months. And I just don't know how they would, they, you know, survive this, well, this few as, months. As a New Yorker, I am very happy that I actually have green space where I live. I think it would be when I lived in Manhattan, you know, I lived in a shoebox, you know, um, I lived in a studio apartment where you could see, you know, your kitchen from your bed. Um, and it was it was a very different lifestyle being trapped in something like that, especially if I am, you know, I'm not in that situation. But if I'd had kids, I think that would be incredibly difficult. So I'm really happy that a lot of parks organizations still made sure that kids and adults were able to get out and be out of their houses and see life and greenery. It was Probably the only that kept people together. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, Becky, in the past, uh, I know you have done a lot in the past, going from from broke to wherever you are now. And, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. For now, mm -hmm. let's just take a step back and um, kind of tell us what made you sow everything you had and open a bar in Portugal. <laughs> sure. We can leap into <laughs> that. Um, so I... How to break that down for you. So I, my W-2, my regular full-time job, my professional career is actually cancer research. I run clinical trials for patients to test out different types of chemotherapies. And it's, it's a tough job. A lot, what I was really working on were studies where patients were terminally ill. So all of my patients were dying and that's what we expected, but they all had this great vision of being able to donate their their bodies to science while they were still alive so that way we can do these trials in the last few months that they had to live to hopefully further um to hopefully further science for for future generations but they never got to see you know reap the bows of what they had sown here so it was really depressing to watch that these people never had the opportunity to leave the hospital once they came into it so i really needed to find a way that i could go out and live life And I was actually asked to do something that I considered unethical at a hospital that I was working at that I felt was not helping my patients directly. And I was like, that's it. I can't do this. Um, I went back to my desk and instead of changing my statistics like I was asked to do, I actually wrote my letter of resignation. I quit a six-figure job. And now that it was, you know, two o'clock on a Monday and I just quit my job, what else do you do? You go to a bar. Um, <laughs> and I just, I said to a bartender, I was just like, you know, what do I do next? Where should I move? And he was just like, go to Europe. So I posted on Facebook, Hey, I want to move to Europe. Where should I go? And when I woke up the next morning, I only had one response. And the response was to go to Sevilla. Well, I didn't know where that was. So I Googled it, found out it was in Spain. So I bought my plane ticket there, sold everything I owned and moved to Sevilla, Spain, eight weeks later. I ended up starting a tour company there. So I moved to Spain and I forgot that I didn't really actually speak Spanish <laughs> and I didn't really know what I was going to do for work. So I kept going to this Irish bar and this girl one day just came up to me and she's like, Hey, I've seen you here before. You know, your English sounds pretty good. I was like, thanks. <laughs> um, and she said, you know, we, I work for a hostel. We need somebody to do some walking tours. Would you be interested? And from there, I ended up doing walking tours for multiple different hostels, not only throughout Sevilla, but in other cities around Spain. Then I expanded into Portugal and bought a bar in Portugal. And I had a boss that took people from Spain over to Portugal and then from Portugal back to Spain. Um, Smuggle people. What's that? Smuggling people. Clear. Shh. Don't <laughs> tell anybody, V. <laughs> Kind of, yeah, all those Australian backpackers, Canadians, everybody else that kind of took that gap year. Yeah, I, we were showing them a good time around Southern Europe. So I did that for quite a few years. And then unfortunately, I made a really bad business deal with my um, with the bar that I bought in Portugal and ended up losing it. Um, I ended up having to sell my business in Spain and just, you know, I, I ended up working at a, I didn't have enough money after I lost my bar in Spain to actually, even to my bar in Portugal to even get back to the United States. So I took a job cooking for $3 an hour, $3 so, an hour. <laughs> so you went from six figures 
to yeah. no job. Then you went to Spain, Portugal. You yep. worked for a bunch of hostels, and then now you're working for three dollars an hour. Yep. Now I was cooking in a restaurant for three dollars an hour, and all the pasta I could eat. <laughs> <laughs> it's clearly clearly made up the other you know thousands of dollars that I had lost here. So. I had to save up money to be able to even get back to the United States. And then what do you do when you get back to the United States penniless? You know, I ended up moving back home into my parents' basement at like 30 years old and was like, okay, we can't do this anymore. <laughs> we got <laughs> we to gotta figure out what the next plan is here. Right. So when you came back to the U.S., you had, you had nothing. You move into your parents' basement. Um, mm -hmm. Most people wanted to buy a house to live in, but you didn't have a concept about house hacking, yet you decided that's what you were going to do next. Yeah. So at the time, once again, main goal was get out of my parents' basement, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so I actually started a medical consulting company, um, which was successful for a while. And then I met my now husband. And when we were still dating, my husband said to me a couple of years ago now, he was just like, listen, like you have this business that you're running, but you have to take all of the money that you're making from it and put it back into the business. So you're not making really any money here. You know, being an entrepreneur is expensive. And he's like, I really want to, you know, you need to be in a better financial situation for us to move forward. You know, I want to get engaged. I want to get married. I want to buy a house, all those things. So I was like, well, fine then. And I know I have really good earning power. So I was like, okay, let's figure out something. So I found a consulting gig for a couple months that paid really good money that was short term that I was able then to take that and use that all for a down payment. And then when we were talking about buying a house, I kind of said to him, I'm like, listen, I don't want to just like buy a house and be like spending money every month on a mortgage payment. We got to figure out a way where we can make some money off of this, right? So I had suggested at the time to look into purchasing a multifamily where we were living in the Bronx. And that really kind of started our journey. I still had no idea what house hacking was. All I knew was that I thought that I had the most brilliant idea to live in a multifamily <laughs> and rent out, rent out one of the apartments and live in the other side. So we started looking in the area. If anybody knows anything about New York City, they know it's incredibly expensive and competitive. So I unfortunately, we were not able to find a place in in the Bronx at all. And our realtor did a great job of suggesting um, about 15 minutes north of, of the Bronx in a place called Yonkers. And we found the perfect duplex to start our journey in. Um, we ended up, once we closed on that, I fell in love with the concept of real estate that like first time that like I got like a check from tenants, I was like, that's it. We're doing this again. How soon can I buy another house now? And that it was then that I learned what house hacking was and realized that I was not as original <laughs> as I actually thought I was. <laughs> so at, at that point, when you uh, bought the first rental and not even knowing what that concept was, mm -hmm. what, what did your tenant teach you? Because in, in the landlording business, um, a lot of people say what you don't know, the tenant will teach you real fast. Yeah. What did you learn from your tenant? Um. Oh my God, so much. So he's actually still now years later, he's still one of our tenants, which is fantastic. Um, my tenant taught me that you need to be human, that you need to understand where the other person's coming from. Yes, it's a business, but we're, we're in the people business. We're in a customer service business. We need to hear what our tenants are looking for. And I'm not saying like go completely be outlandish with things, but just understand that they're human and we need to communicate and we need to talk to them and understand other people's points of views and not just our own. So he taught me that. He taught me you need to have a really, really good lease and it needs to be incredibly detailed and everything needs to be spelled out there. So that way it avoids those uncomfortable <laughs> situations that then you have to communicate with. Um, and he also taught me to not get involved in tenant disputes. <laughs> <laughs> How did that come up? So he was, so I think this is a fun story. So. I met him, oddly enough, which kind of is going to the back to the beginning of the story here. I met him at the bar down the street from our house. <laughs> at another bar. Yeah, yeah. apparently everything. So I found multiple tenants talking to bartenders. But so he was actually a bartender down the street. He moved in and he moved in with a friend of his. And when I met the two of them together, I was like, these two are the cutest couple ever. They're going to end up like moving in. They say they're just friends. They're going to fall in love. Like, I cannot wait to be like officiating their wedding, even though I'm their landlord. Like, this is going to be like adorable. 
Well, that's not how things worked out. It was actually their first time living outside of their parents' homes. So there were all those fights about how to take garbage out or who should wash dishes or how do we do laundry or who cleans, right? So all those arguments popped up. And by the end of the lease, they actually were not getting along at all. And my husband and I, did, a, I think, did a really good job since we knew them both and they were living in our own property. We saw them regularly of kind of saying, okay, like, you know, if you guys don't like each other, you still both have to pay rent. <laughs> so we were able to avoid those confrontations with them. Not only did the one guy, he ended up moving into one of our other properties at the end of the lease. So they, they parted ways. But my favorite part of this story is now at the date of this recording, they are actually dating. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're back later. together. And I have the feeling she's going to end up moving back in with him into our property. So it worked out great that we kept our professional boundaries, did not get involved or take sides in their in their dispute when they were both living with us because now they're great they're both great tenants. So now if she can move back in, this would be fantastic and I can still have a chance of officiating their wedding. <laughs> there you go. How, how many years later? Um about two and a half now. Okay, so still, you still bought that on. You bought that property about two and a half years ago? Yeah, um early 2018. Okay, got it. And so since then, you're up to about 10 doors now. Yes. Yes, we are. That's awesome. And you just closed on the, the 10th door like a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah, about a month, a month ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. So could you, so what, walk us through the lessons that you learned from buying that 10th door compared to your first one? Oh my God. <laughs> Such a difference. So buying the 10th door. I think what taught me, what that taught me was that you have to keep your opportunities open. I understand we have our strategies, right? Mine is small multifamilies, buy and holds. That's my strategy. But you have to keep your your ears and eyes open for what other opportunities are out there, what those things can look like. And you have to be prepared to pivot when needed. So for example, my husband and I did not plan on buying a property in 2020. At the beginning of this year, we were like, nope. This year, we're gonna we're not buying anything else. We had just bought two properties in 2019. So we said, okay, 2020, we're not gonna buy another property. We need to get like our, we need to get everything kind of settled to where we want to be. So that way we can afford another small multifamily in, in Yonkers, right? Once again, right outside New York City, these are large down payments we're playing with around here. So that, that was before COVID. Now all of a sudden pandemic comes around in March. And as a New Yorker, we're sitting here and I work in pharmaceuticals and I'm like, this isn't ending anytime soon. People are looking to move. People are working from home. People, once again, in those shoe boxes down in the city aren't dealing with their partner, their roommate as well. Who's working from home? It's, it's becoming a situation. So we decided let's kind of switch up things a little bit. So instead of buying in this urban area that I'm used to, I said, okay, one, where are people moving to? where our house price is kind of changing, but what can I still get into when it's early enough that nobody else kind of thought about this? Mm-hmm. So I started looking for something that had three conditions to it. One, it needed to be within an hour of my property. The reason for that is because I like to self-manage at this time and we were not we were not looking to use a property manager. I wasn't really expecting a great cash flow and I didn't want to have to calculate in for a property manager at this time. So I figured an hour an hour and 15 minutes, that's pretty much as far as I wanted to end up going for that. So I said it had, that was condition one, had to be within about an hour from where I currently live. Condition two was that it had to already have tenants in place. Right now, the big issue is evictions, screening tenants, that's on everybody's mind. I wanted to make sure that I had tenants that were there that were already employed, that had mm-hmm. leases, that were paying, that I already had a copy of their rent roll, that I know that they were good paying tenants that wanted to stay, meaning that they either had families that were comfortable there and they wanted to be in that school system, so didn't want to go and uproot anything. And then condition three was I wanted something that was more or less turnkey. Something I didn't have to do a bunch of work with, right? Now I'm talking about I'm living an hour away. I think a lot of people know that now during COVID, it was really difficult to get appliances. It was difficult to get wood. Cost of materials were going up. It was difficult to even get workers because of just different 
conditions and what phase your your county was in. I didn't want to have to deal with all of that, especially from an hour away. So those mm-hmm. were my three conditions. And I said, well, if we find a property, we buy a property. If we don't find a property, we don't. And of course mm-hmm. we did. <laughs> so so we did. And that was, once again, it is. it doesn't seem to match what is kind of in the rest of our portfolio, but it made sense to do it because I kept my opportunities open. I was always trying to stay with kind of what's going on in the world today. Mm-hmm. And then we were ready to pivot when needed. Now on your, on that property that you purchased, do you go in and um, kind of underwrite that tenants again to suit your criteria or are you just going to take over and you, I mean, you look at the leases obviously, but you just took over. Yes. You didn't care. So yeah. So when we take over, like you have to accept the leases as is. Right. Um, personally, I, I think my leases are better <laughs> than the leases of the landlord that, that we purchased from. Um, oddly enough, the, so we closed on September 30th and that was actually the last, the end date for one of the tenants leases. Mm -hmm. So we were able then to go in and have her sign a brand new lease, which was fantastic. So then that way it was to my terms, my conditions, um, which once again, I think is the way to protect yourself. So that worked out really well. And then the other tenant was also month to month because he'd lived at the property for multiple years. So his lease just was automatically extended. So once again, being September 30th, I actually got to sign two brand new leases with great quality tenants the day I purchased the property. And I got paid that very day. I made $86 for closing <laughs> on, <laughs> on the 30th because that rent comes to you from, mm-hmm. from the landlord when you close, if, if some of the listeners aren't aware of that. So it's, there's no, no better feeling than getting a check from tenants at a closing. <laughs> <laughs> they pay you to buy that property. Yeah. I took that 86 bucks and I said, all right, we're putting that right back in our pocket here. <laughs> <laughs> and also I I'm curious because I never mm-hmm. talked to anyone who rent properties in a blue state, you know, mm-hmm. landlord, um, tenant friendly state. <laughs> Tell me about your experience running properties there. Sure. So actually, um, for those that are out of New York State, New York State actually just really revamped their landlord tenant laws back in June 2019. They definitely created some of the more strict landlord tenant guidelines. Um, A lot of landlords that I talk to actually tend to avoid those types of situations. They don't like to buy in those states. They don't like to own property in those states. And honestly, I'll say, great, send me the deal. Send me the deal then. I'll, I'll buy it. I don't find a lot of, even New York's tenant laws, I don't find them that absurd. I don't think that there's anything there that turns me off from being able to rent here. It's just, you have to know what your laws are. You have to know what the rules are and you have to know how to play by them. Um, Like I said, I really kind of take a humanistic approach to landlording. So to me, I think some of the laws are kind of makes sense. One of the laws in New York is that they just changed is now you cannot, um, you cannot ask for a security deposit more than one month's rent. Okay. okay. Well, well, that's fine. That sounds about fine to me. Um, you know, like I know a lot of people in some other places or in New York, you know, we used to ask for, you know, first months and last months, Mm -hmm. um, plus security deposit. Well, and now you can't do that. You can't ask for last month's rent. You can only ask for the security deposit, but that's okay. That still covers you. And also when you're renting places out for two, $3,000 a month, well, asking somebody to kind of move in and hand over six to $10,000 is, you know, not, that's a little bit of a, a bit of a push to be able to ask a person for that. So, so I, especially, you know, once again, living in the middle of a pandemic, having somebody that, you know, now has to come out $10,000 in kind of an unsure world, that's, that's a lot of money. That's really asking a lot. So if you screen properly, if you know your laws, I think that's one of the things that people really need to make sure that they understand is they need to know their state laws. You need to know how to follow them. They need to be in your lease. It needs to be incredibly clear between you and your tenant. But I think if you know your laws and you know how to screen for best tenants and for good quality tenants and for good people, then the laws don't really kind of work against you. They're just what they are. That, I mean, that depends. I recently had a conversation with um, someone in California mm-hmm. and a resident, I mean, same 
blue states and um, yeah. the the tenants really just taking advantage of the whole COVID situation and not paying. And this yeah. individual is trying to get that person out. But I mean, the court just like putting them, the, the name on the list is going to take about a year and a half before the court yes. will do anything. <laughs> yes. Clearly right now. Yes. If people are taking advantage of COVID and there are people kind of on both sides, there are landlords that are definitely seeing how they can use this to their advantage just as much as there are tenants trying to take advantage on their side. So right. let's, you know, call a spade a spade here. Um, yes, we can not clearly always predict finding somebody that's going to end up doing something like that. But let's be real, like no one expected ever to be living through a pandemic in 2020. Um, we could not predict <laughs> that. We can, And you can't predict human behavior. We can make our best guesses. So yes, that would be that could be a problem here, but there are plenty of um, tenant friendly states. Sorry, landlord tenant state, landlord friendly. Friendly, states. yeah, landlord Same friendly states. That's what I'm trying to say. Landlord friendly states that you also can't just go in. You can't just cut off their water, go in, oh, no, pack yeah, their suitcase that's... up, and move them out either. <laughs> so you're still even if you are in a blue state, red state right now, there are still restrictions on what you kind of can do due to COVID. So unfortunately, COVID is yes, making mm -hmm. it very difficult for everybody, regardless of the color of your state, to be able to manage your tenants. And that there are definitely people kind of on both sides of that line. There are tenants completely suffering. There are landlords incredibly suffering. And, you know, unfortunately, that was just kind of the luck of the draw on this one. Um, but to your original question, I don't worry about what the laws are. I just work within them and figure out what best practices are to protect myself. So could you say... Share with us some of the best practices for um, kind of working in a blue state or um, tenant-friendly state. Sure. So, and honestly, this kind of goes for any state. But once again, knowing your laws, I think it's completely, you need a good relationship with a real estate attorney. A real estate attorney that knows what they're doing, that's, that specifically works in that expertise area of the law, right? Landlord-tenant law. Yeah. If they do, you know... Um, landlord tenant law, and they also do like wills. No, move on, right? You want to find somebody that really knows that specific area. And you want to make sure that they're working with other landlords in the area, in your geographic area, so that even if it's not your state, but also going down to like your county, your city, your neighborhood, and somebody that's really well known in that area. And you want to make sure to build that relationship with them. My attorney now, we did have a problem with one of our, um, with the prospective tenant that was moving in. I needed a question answered. He answered my phone call at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning and he talked to me for a good 30 minutes and kind of walked me through like what I should do. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of attorney that you need. You need somebody that's going to pick up the phone when you call it. And really the way of doing that is to be able to use them. You want to be able to still use them for your closings. One of the other best practices that'll fit within this real estate attorney block would be also making sure that you have an attorney review your lease. Mm, yeah, that's I think a big that's one. something a lot of people will just go online and just say, "Ooh, free lease. I'll just print that out. Well, great. But like your state, your county has a bunch of provisions that need to be involved in that. They are always changing. So you need to make sure, you know, sometimes Google is not as fast as the law that's fast. So we need to make sure that we can get really that updated information. So I'm not saying that you need to go and use that attorney every single time you need a lease. I think you need to have that lease, though, reviewed regularly. And when you are giving that attorney business, you're building that relationship with them that then when you have a problem that's going to blow up in your face on a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, they're going to answer your phone call and they're going to be able to help you with that. So I think definitely having that relationship there. Then you also have to remember that you're that attorney that you now are working with. He does not own the property. He is not your, he's not the investor. You are. You need to have responsibility and accountability for what you are investing in and what you are a part of. Meaning that you need to be well-versed in what those laws are and what those regulations are just as much. One of the things that I do where we own properties is I participate in city council meetings, our planning board committee meetings. I go to all of the quality of life meetings. I know all of our city council members. I am part of the homeowners association within the city that I live in and mostly own properties in. You need to be a part of those things. So that way, when laws are changing, when there are discussions of, hey, what should we do with this? You are there representing your voice and you are there participating in what the conversation is. Why are you going to go and read about a law that was passed when you actually have the possibility to be a part of that law and to have a, a hand 
and what is going on in that conversation. Those voices need to be heard. Right. But then at the same time, let me play uh, devil's advocate here. Sure. If, if you have, let's say right now you have 10, so that's doable. But let's say mm-hmm. you have 50, 100. How are you going to manage it that? I don't know. I'll figure that out when I get there. Um, <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> listen, when I get to 50 or 100, I'm going to tell you, V, we'll be doing this. And you're going to see a gorgeous like beach background in my, <laughs> because I'm going to be like on my <laughs> island somewhere with my pina colada. And I'm going to be like, I don't really care about the law right now. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. But I think, but if you're in the position where you have 50 or 100, those you're already going to have a system in place. You're going to have property managers in place. You're going to have systems in place, and you're going to understand more of what your um, of what your black and red incomes are going to look like, right? So right. I'm more talking about like the small time investor, right? When you have 10, when you have five, even like 15, you have to be incredibly active of what's going on because. Once again, I, I could wake up and a law will change and that's going to take away my profit margin on some of my properties. And I'm not going to be too happy about that. So it is a situation where you want to make sure to get out and be involved and know what's going on and how things are changing to protect your investment. So I would say, so best practices I would say was, was, is know your law, get your real estate attorney on board. No, be participatory in what's going on in where you own properties and what those regulations are looking like. And then three, I'm going to say, know your screening practice. I feel like not only with leases, I get, um, you know, V, I run a women's group called Lady Landlords. And Mm -hmm. it's a Facebook group that has, that just gets, it's really a a help group. So people in there all day long are posting different questions they're going through. And two of the biggest question categories that I get tend to either be like, hey, this situation happened, what I do about it. And almost always I can just write the answer. Well, it should be in your lease, right? So that goes to my point number one, that you have to make sure that things are really cleared out, clear in there, and that you know what your laws are there. But then on the the second biggest category is probably about screening tenants and what that should look like. And you need to have a screening plan in in order. You need to know what your income requirements are going to be, what your credit score requirements are going to be if you have one. You have to know your process. Are you doing a pre-screening questionnaire? Are you doing open houses? When are you having people come look at the place, especially with COVID? Some people don't want people looking at properties. Some people do while they're still living there. You need Mm -hmm. to say, this is my process for it. Make it a system, follow it, stick to it. Right. Now I'm talking to Becky Nova. She's a cancer researcher, real estate investor, and softball player. You can (laughs) all follow her at her Instagram is at BeckyNova24. Um, or her website is lady-landlords.com. And also she just mentioned a free Facebook group that you can join um, called Lady Landlords. Who could join this group? Anyone that, that self-identifies as a female is, is welcome to be in the group. We allow women that are looking to become landlords, that already are landlords, that accidentally became a landlord. Maybe they inherited a property. We have people in there that own 200 units, zero units. We have people that own commercial properties. We have a a variety, but as an educational resource for anyone that identifies as female, that is either looking to be a part of real estate investing or already is. That's terrific. So again, go look up her group on Facebook. It's called Lady Landlords. Now, Becky, let's talk about financing. Um, How are you financing your properties now? Still through banks? Yes. So I usually go with traditional financing. It's what's worked for me. And when things work, no reason to break them. So, But you're, you're at 10 now. You're at the threshold where they will not give you any more loans? No, they right? will because a lot of those are multifamilies. Ah, so I don't, okay. have, I don't have that many mortgages. I have. <laughs> um, plus, also, you have to remember that since they are multifamilies, and then also remember, too, that I do own some property in another country. So mm-hmm. those do not count either against my mortgage. And then this is one of the benefits um, about being married is that if I, even you can have 10 mortgages in your name, which means right. that if I can qualify for a mortgage and don't need to have my husband on that mortgage, I'm not going to, because then technically we can actually acquire more that way. Right. You can have 20. Actually, you could, yes, you can have 20, but, <laughs> or some type of combination of that, right? Once again, I'm buying in high cost of living areas. Some of them, we need both of us <laughs> to be on the mortgage. <laughs> um, but that also, that's worked for us just because also just, once again, the way that we're building our portfolio and the way that we work together, 
I tend to be a little bit more of the risk taker. My husband tends to be a little bit more on the stable side. So us having to kind of reacquire that down payment between properties, I think then gives him that sense of we bought this property, let's get it up and running, let's get it settled, rather than me being like, ooh, let's go buy another property. Okay, today let's buy another property. So I think it actually is a built-in patience um, meter for the two of us. Right. And then, so when, after you purchase one and you close on it, are you then refinancing and take out the equity to go, you know, save it up for the next one? So that is part of the plan. We have not utilized that yet. One, because we've only been buying since um, 2018. So to refinance, it just hasn't made sense for us to be able to do that because we're not buying the full rehabs. So we okay. have, we've bought some turnkey properties. We, um, one of the properties that probably needed the most amount of work was really a building that was neglected. It's a four family. It just really had no work or no upkeep to it for a good 30 odd years, but it has really great bones. So we had to read completely renovate one full apartment. But outside of that, the others were salvageable. We were able to make some changes, um, redo just a kitchen here, a bathroom there, put on some paint. And then really a lot of those CapEx projects. So, right, it's going to need the new driveway. We have to fix up the backyard. But those are all things that we can kind of do over time. It's completely habitable. It is safe. It's a great property. But those are things we didn't have to go in there and all of a sudden just renovate everything. So it didn't make sense for us after that six-month waiting period to just refinance and pull out that money. So we have not done that. That is part of the plan. But right now, it is literally buy a property, save, (laughs) buy a property safe got it um so i'm curious the one that you property that you have oversee how did you finance it so that once again um my my husband really made the difference on that one my husband is from the dominican republic he moved to the states when right before his 18th birthday but he now has dual citizenship so we were able so that was an interesting situation because that was a property it's clearly the cheapest property out of what our what we have in our portfolio But did we want to go and put all of that cash in that property or did I want to stay a little more liquid, finance it, take out that mortgage and then just have to put on put that down payment in and then really have tenants that moved into that property take care of paying that mortgage. Clearly, I liked option B better. So we ended up mortgaging it since my husband is a citizen of the Dominican Republic. And then we did that strategy. But then now we actually have decided that we were going to pay that off a little bit faster than the traditional mortgage that you would get in America. One, they don't really do 30-year mortgages um, <laughs> there, but it was something that just financially, it made sense to then pay it off a little bit faster than we had planned. Um, and then that way, that one will just be paid off, done with, and we can kind of move on from it. So <clears throat> with your husband being from Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. um, but many of us don't have that relationship or connections there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I know where could you're going you, with this. <laughs> well, yeah. Could you like just just share with us some some reason why it makes sense to buy there, and you know how could we establish a connection there? Sure. So most most of the reasons that people would buy in the Dominican Republic or in other countries is for one of two reasons. One would be that they want to do that short term rental, that Airbnb, that gorgeous beach property, ski property, whatever it would be, right? A lot of people see that and there's some great opportunities to be able to do that. The other reason that someone's going to buy in a different country is because either their family's from there, they have some connection there, maybe they vacation there with their parents when they were younger. They're going to buy it more for that emotional reason that they just really want to have that house there. And they're going to take less of a cash flow from that property because it's a little nostalgic for them to be able to own that property there. So you have one of those two reasons. So my husband and I, we bought there for the nostalgic reasons. It was incredibly important to him to be able to own property in his home country. And the property we own there is actually not an Airbnb. It is not on a beach. (laughs) I know it's an island, but it's not on a beach. (laughs) It is in the middle of the city and it is rented to locals. And that was really important to him to be able to do that. Um, But either way, if you are not a citizen of that country, you would not be able to get financing. That's where you are going and you are buying as a cash buyer. And that would be the same, honestly, if someone was trying to buy in the United States, that's that's how they're going to have to do it because there's no no bank in the United States is going to give you money 
to go buy property in another country because then there's no collateral, right? They can't collect and be like, oh, you didn't pay your mortgage. <laughs> well, we're going to go tell the Dominican Republic that we need to take that property back. That's right. not going to happen. And mm-hmm. then also, if you then are not a citizen of that country, a Dominican bank is not going to give you that money either. They're going to be like, well, you live in America. How do I, <laughs> how do I collect from you if you don't pay me either? So in those situations, if you are, if you do not have a connection, you're really looking at, at paying cash. Okay. But it so still when, be, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say it would still be, it could still be lucrative depending on how your numbers work out to still be able to do that based on your goals. Right. So when you buy a property there in that, in Dominican Republic, do you own the land rights and mineral rights, air rights, everything up and down of your property or I mean, it's for you because he's your husband is a citizen there. But for someone like me who buy in there, I'm a foreigner in that country. Do I buy and own the rights of that property or do I have a land lease for like 99 years? (laughs) So that's going to be dependent, definitely country per country. So whoever is looking into doing that, make sure. But yes, in the Dominican Republic, you buy the land. So that is that is your property. That's why actually... um, not only in that country, but in a lot of other countries in the Caribbean, um, you will see a lot of um, houses kind of being built up. And a lot of the way that works, it's because one family kind of had the land. They built that first apartment there. Then they had kids. Then, you know, the oldest son builds the apartment on top. And then his son builds the apartment on top. And it's really kind of cool how they build that within the family. But that tends to be based because you're buying land and that space rather than the actual, than the way that we do in America, where we're buying the property that's on that land and then paying taxes forever. Right. I mean, here is a little yeah. bit different, but we have the mineral rights and, and I'm trying to see if, if that's the case there too. Yes. Not is. that I'm, I know, you know there's anything <laughs> underneath. <laughs> but well, I'm just you're, curious. Not gonna, you're not going to hit much, right? And it's an <laughs> island. So, you, you, you know, mo- usually the, the down part, no one's really kind of concerned with. But it is, right. once again, it's also a densely populated place. Like it's, if you're buying that, you're buying that land and then that land is yours to do what with. You want to leave it blank? Fine. You want to put a house on it? Fine. That's, that's terrific. And how does taxes work for you in, in particular? Because you have properties there. Do you pay, pay double tax then? What do you mean by double tax? Because you, I would imagine you're paying income tax in in that country, and then that income is it's still income to you, but you live here in the U.S., or so you have to pay income tax here again, right? Well, but remember, it's a, that property is under a Dominican citizen. Oh, so that's not double taxes. So you get okay. So you got away <laughs> with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm that trying one. to learn. Yeah. No, but it, it once again, like we were definitely in a very fortunate situation since he is a dual citizen, that that makes that that was clearly a very different situation. And not everybody is in that is in that opportunity to be able to do that for sure. Right. So on the on the property that you purchased, uh, what metrics did you use to research it before you buy it? I was able to do pretty much the same thing that I would do here. Um, it was still analyzing the deal that I needed to know how much it was going to cost. I needed to know. Um, there clearly we have a property manager, so that was something that had to be factored into it. We needed to know what that mortgage was going to look like, what the what our interest rate was going to look like, what the terms of that mortgage were. To me, it was really to me, no matter where you're buying a property, it's really the same deal and the same system. Once again, we were also fortunate since my husband's from there that we knew the neighborhood, we knew what the area was like, so that clearly made it a little bit. We were very fortunate to have that, rather than if I said, "Well, I would like to go buy a place in Mexico." And I don't, I don't really know neighborhoods and rentals and what that's like. So it was easy for him, easier since we had him that was able to say, well, this is how rent works. This is how leases work. This is how mortgages work um, to kind of sort through that. And you still, I imagine you have local councils and everything for you to help you with the lease and um, the language of your lease. Yes. Well, that once again, too, my husband <laughs> was, able, was able to do that. He also, besides being the plumber, handyman, and electrician, one of my other, my husband's other responsibilities is also being translator. (laughs) (laughs) I see. And, and you have property manager there, obviously, right? Yes. Yes. For the one in the Dominican Republic, of course. Okay. 
because I, for one reason, whatever reason, I thought that you managed that yourself. And I'm like, no, 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 that's that amazing. Was, no, <laughs> uh, like I, like we probably could, once you get tenants in, I do think it takes like a couple months for like a tenant to kind of like get settled. And then after that, things kind of can be on autopilot a little bit if you do it right. So we possibly could do that. But clearly, it's it's nice to have somebody there that's on the ground that's really watching that and taking care of it. It's just one thing that we don't have to worry about. We got enough other, once again, our larger properties are in New York. So a little more reason to kind of focus there than on mm-hmm. the Dominican Republic. Right. So, but yes, no, we do have a property manager for that one. When mm-hmm. I move there and get to live there full time on my beach, then I'll probably right. have a property manager in the States and then I'll, I'll manage the one in the Dominican. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now, for one second, let's just remove your husband from from the equation. Sure. Think about this you, as yourself buying internationally. Could you give like two or three practical things that the audience could follow and and do when they're thinking about buying properties overseas? Sure, that would be that's actually something that I have looked into. So that's actually pretty easy to discuss. So one of the things there, like I said, you would need to be an all cash buyer. So you need to definitely think about what your return is going to look like because of that, right? When we think about here in the States, either putting down just a down payment and mortgaging it or being an owner-occupied property where we're putting down very little, we can usually see a better cash flow on a monthly basis. Well, this, instead, we're kind of flip-flopping that. So now you're looking at putting down that large chunk, but now you're going to own the property. So it's going to take you a longer time to clearly recoup your money to be able to get to that cash flow point. But when you do, remember that it's all cash flow. It's not a portion of the rent coming in for the next 30 odd years. So there is that benefit there, but you have to make sure when you're analyzing your numbers that you realize I'm putting a large investment down up front to make sure to kind of get that money on the back end. Two, I suggest this not only for anybody that's thinking international, but also anybody that's thinking long distance in general, buying more than that hour, hour and a half outside of where you currently live. With that is make sure you're buying in a place you like. (laughs) And I feel like people don't do that often enough. They don't, they try to kind of chase this, oh, like, oh, I listened to some blog or something that told me that, you know, Indiana was like the place to invest. And it's like, okay, great. But like, do you know anything about Indiana? Do you know anybody there? Have you ever been there? Would you like to be there? Well, if the answer (laughs) is no to all of those, then probably don't buy in that area. I do think that it makes sense, like I said, any type of long distance in the country, out of the country to make sure that you're buying in a place you like. The reason for that is because if things, one, you're probably gonna have to go there a couple times. So you would like even to go look at properties, to go sign paperwork, depending on what you're buying. Yes, there are a lot of ways that you can do that virtually. But if you're going to have to go there at any point in time, even to fix things, um, once again, to meet property managers, anything like that, you want to make sure that you're going to a place that you actually enjoy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Two, if anything kind of just goes completely south on it, then you are going to have to go there. You're going to have to deal with that area. So knowing it, liking it you know, kind of just makes sense. And I know one of the a strategy that a lot of people do employ is saying, well, let, let me buy in a place that I do really like, rent it out now. And then that way in 30 years, when I'm ready to retire, I now have that property paid off. It already made me a bunch of money with cash flow after I'd made back my original investment. And then it's already in a place that I buy. I could not imagine wanting to now retire, kind of get out of this game and then realize that I still have that property out in Indiana that I bought that one day. So. <laughs> Um, make so like I said, cash, make sure that you have the cash influx and you understand your numbers because it's going to kind of flip flop what your cash flow looks like. And then two, also make sure that it's in a place that you like. Um, and then three, same thing, kind of what we talked about earlier, know your laws. Know your laws. Yeah. Make sure that you understand what, once again, if it's, if it's tenant friendly, if it's landlord friendly, what, what you can put in a lease, what you can't put in a lease, what you can do as the landlord. You want to make sure that you understand your local laws. Got it. Got it. Know your law. I heard you said know your loss. And I'm like, what do oh. you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> no, not the way you want to start. No, you don't want to put your losses. Up front. You, know? <laughs> you don't want to. That's not what you want on day one. No. <laughs> right. And, and I'm curious. So is Dominican Republic a landlord friendly or a tenant friendly? Um, more on the landlord side, just because it's the rights of the person that will own the property. So, so they, that person has a lot of control over what they do. So it's definitely landlord friendly. They, they have the stake, they have the responsibility. They're the one that it's their property. You know, they, once again, how we were t- I was saying earlier, you know, it's not like you can go to like a red state and like 
you know, kick a tenant out and turn off their water and pack up their suitcase, you might be able to do that in DR. <laughs> and get away with it too. No one will say anything. Well, that's the important part. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you've been terrific, Becky. Uh, <laughs> now, if you want to follow up with Becky after the show, make sure you follow her. Uh, again, Becky Nova two, uh, 24 um, that's Instagram. And she also has a, a free guide called Real Estate Investment Financing or the Financially Free to Be. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure, V. So the, what I did, one of the, like I mentioned before, in the Lady Landlords Facebook group, that's really the self-help group, we get questions about legalities, tenants, and then also financing. How do you buy properties? So instead of answering all the questions one-on-one, I put everything I know about financing from your traditional mortgages to your creative financing, to your private money, to your hard money lenders, everything all in one nice spreadsheet, nice and clear about what type of financing is available, how you can use it, what strategy is the best for? Is it better for buying holds? Is it better for flips? And then also what are your requirements enable for you to be able to use it? What are your income requirements? What are your credit requirements? How you can actually use that? So I put it all in one place in a financial cheat sheet for everybody. And that's for men and women, not just the women. <laughs> There you go. Make sure you go download that guy um, on her website. Again, it's www.lady-landlords.com. Uh, Becky, you've been terrific. Thank you so mm -hmm. much for joining me on the show. I will ask you one last question before I let mm -hmm. you go. What is your most favorite um, mindset quote or business success quote? Sure. I have it right here, actually, on the front of my phone. It is a quote by Zig Ziglar that says, you can have everything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want in life. There you go. And you have helped many thousands of lady <laughs> landlords in your group. Uh, again, if you're listening and you want to carry on with that conversation that I'm having, go join her group. I mean, she has a lot of knowledge <laughs> in that group. Lady Landlords on Facebook. It's a free group. Go make sure you join it. Now, uh, Becky, do you have any other ways that our audience could connect with you or do you have any uh, parting words of wisdom? Sure. So I'm actually, I'll give you one of both. So um, another place you can connect with me and some of the topics we've actually talked about here, I document on my YouTube, which is Live Free with Becky Nova. So you can find me there. I actually talk a lot about purchasing in a different country on that site. Um, and then also for parting words of wisdom, I will say after you finish listening to these podcasts, decide one thing that you're going to do today to take action in your real estate journey. So many of us just get stuck in that analysis paralysis. We say that we want this, but we don't go after it. So do one thing today that's going to get you a step closer to what you want to see have happen in your real estate investing journey. Right. Yeah, we can show you the door, but you still have to open it yourself. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. That's now my new favorite quote. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Well, thank you so much, Becky. Well, V, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. This was a ton of fun today. That's the end of the show. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a five stars rating and review on iTunes for the Real Estate Lab podcast. Until next time, have a prolific week.